this morning, are you the guilted, the searching, or the thankful? Matthew 16. We are going to be in a lot of places this morning, okay? I usually say just find a space and get comfortable. Um, not this morning. So there will be some times where I'll say, hey, don't flip just because I'm going to be there before you get there. And, but there will be times where I just slow the moment down and I say, we'll wait for you. Turn your Bible. But you're going to be in a lot of different places this morning with a subject that's dear to my heart and really on my mind. This morning, are you the guilted, the searching, or the thankful? And, and when I say, you know, guilted or, or searching or thankful, that, that's not so much as David was praying, you know, the different struggles and opportunities that we're having right now in life. We're all in different spaces. I know that. But, you know, you can be thankful and also struggling, and so just because you are struggling doesn't mean you're guilted. And just because you're tired and weary doesn't mean that you're searching. And so these are different people, and we're going to talk about them. It will all make sense near the end. But are you the guilted, the dragged, the searching, which is the lost, or the thankful to worship this morning? Now, before I read Matthew 16, um, outside of the gospel in 1 Corinthians, which we're going to read today near the end, um, outside the typical Easter, Christmas, Lord's Supper scripture, there has not been a story in the Bible that I have preached out of more than Matthew 16. Matthew 16, I bet that I have stood before you and other churches and preached more sermons from this text than any other text in the entire Bible. The first time that um, a group of you guys came to a little church in Hannah's Stomping Grounds, Parsons, Tennessee, and met me and my family, it was Brad and Amber and Miss Joellen and Greg. Greg, were you there with them, brother? You weren't there. Um, I know Brother Al was there. They came and they met me and my family. They heard a message and, and I preached out of Matthew 16. And I think my first sermon here, again, was Matthew 16. I was comfortable. I wasn't comfortable in a lot of areas, but I was comfortable in this text. I love this story so, so, so much. But I'm going to be coming at a different angle than I ever have before this morning. So if you've already heard it, hear it again. This is verses 13 through 18 in God's Word. Now, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Man, highlight this. Who do men say that I am? It's an open ended, strong question. Who do men say that I am? Who do the people around you? What do you hear in the streets? Is it the Son of Man? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So the guys with Jesus basically say, hey, you got a pretty good reputation. They think highly of you. And he said to them, well, good. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, one of my favorite characters in all of the Bible, he answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Highlight 17, it is the crux of everything we're doing today. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Are you the guilted, the searching, or the thankful this morning? You know, as I said earlier, there's not a scripture that I've preached of out of more than Matthew 16. I've been at Eastview for, for seven years now, a, a little longer, and that was the, the first message I ever preached in this room. And I was thinking even just last night as I was going through my notes and talking to my wife and praying over things, and I just started thinking about the last seven years. Like if you don't know the story and if you've joined this church, you should know it now because we talk about it every time we sit with you guys. But seven years ago, we were in a different space. I wasn't telling people to come early or you'll be sitting Indian style, right? I was saying, hey, you can show up at 1140 and have front row seating if you want to. We had about 25 people, no money and very little hope for future. The people of this church had gone through some struggles and they sat down at a table together and they said, do we want to shut the doors, give the keys to the association and call it what it is? It's been fun. Or we want to roll the dice and do it one more time. So they voted and they did it one more time. They came out to Parsons and they heard Matthew 16. Seven years later, we're building, or hopefully voting and moving closer to a building. We're rock climbing today, and we're sitting Indian style together. God has been good to this church. Amen? It's a wonderful story. I hope I never get tired of telling people about it. What does the last seven years of your life look like? Like, I was thinking, not just from a church standpoint, because I've seen a lot of you guys grow. Like Brandon and Anna Kilburn, they were on wave one. David and Santa, very early on. Some of you guys have been here for a minute. You weren't here at 20, but you weren't here at 100 either. We had 45 and you were in that first wave coming to the church. And you remember some of those times. I think about even my life. I look at yours. I can look at your marriages and your kids and your families and your minds and your, your service. And guys, the, the obvious nature of God in your life is so apparent. It's amazing. But I even think of my life. Man, I look in the mirror, guys. Um, not only do we see this church grow and each other grow, your pastor's grown. Like I'm very different than I was seven years ago. And hopefully I'm not here for seven years. Hopefully I'm here for 37 years and I marry your kids and I cry with you at funerals and we live life with one another and we see each other grow, right? What does the last seven years of your life look like? Can you remember where you were spiritually seven years ago? Have you grown? I love the imagery of Matthew 16 because it's an image and a story of spiritual growth. And not only do I look at my life and your life and the church's life, I mean, I look at what it means to grow closer to the Lord. And 
how God is doing it. There's a lot of imagery and pictures going on in Matthew 16. We first see the picture of uncomfortable missions. I've preached that message. I think that was the one seven years ago. Caesarea Philippi was an ungodly place with pagan people. It was an area where literally people would travel to, to worship at this altar made by man to the God of Pan. He was half goat and half man. It was a God of fertility. And people would perform ungodly, disgusting sexual acts with children and people of the same sex and multiple partners. And they would come to this waterfall on this rock platform where there was a carving of this God Pan. And they would perform all of these orgy style little rituals in front of this God because they believed that that was worship to him. This is an imagery of how uncomfortable missions can be. I've preached that message. It's also a picture and an image of unsure faith. I've preached that one. Jesus rolls up in the youth group van and all of the guys are like, hey, what are we doing here? Like, I thought we were going to the projects with hot dogs and pizza. You brought us to Caesarea Philippi? Like, bro, I'm seeing naked people, you know, 30 yards away. Where, where'd you take us? And you have this moment where Jesus looks at his men and says, what? Who do people say that I am? In other words, who do you think's driving this bus? I've preached that message. And then lastly, I've preached the message of a question we will all have to answer at some point in our life. They roll up to the scene. They see half goat, half man, orgy going on. They're scared to death. And Jesus looks these people in the eyes and says, hey, listen, I'm glad your mama and your friends and your church thinks highly of me. But who do you say that I am? It's one of my favorite stories. It is a crossroads moment that every one of us will have to answer at some point in our life. Not your church, not your pastor, not your mama. Who do you say that I am? We will all stand before the Lord at some point. Either you are in waterfall territory or you're in heaven and we will speak to the Lord about who do you say that I am when you walked in life. I love this moment. As I've grown older, it's not those three messages that I've really become obsessed with, but more verse 17, where spiritual growth comes from. Like, why are we growing at this church? Why has this happened? Is it your Sunday school teacher? Is it your pastor? Is it the worship music that we love so much? Hopefully that all helped. Why are we growing? Why have we changed? Why is our marriage stronger? Why has our minds changed? Verse 17 answers that. It's an aspect of this chapter that I have not preached on. God's reveal to the people who put faith in him. I want you to see the, the picture of Simon specifically, Simon Peter specifically in chapter 16. Peter very early on is in a space of spiritual growth. Peter himself has sacrificed, he's being obedient, and he is learning at a rapid speed. Peter is a man who is growing exponentially. 
He is in a space of growth. And in the space of spiritual growth, closer to the Lord, he answers the Lord correctly. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ. You are him. Now what Jesus says next in verses 17, I want us to look at it again, is powerful and life-changing if we grab it. Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has. Now, I want you to understand the moment that is happening here because some of us go, hey, listen, how could Peter have gotten it wrong? All he did was call Jesus by his name, but it's more going on than that. In this moment, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And what Peter says is, is, hey, listen, you are the guy that was spoken about in Micah. You are the guy who was spoken about in Isaiah, in Daniel, in Jeremiah. What, what Peter is saying is, you are the professed Messiah that I have heard all about. You are him. Peter's life is changing in the next seven years for my man Peter is going to be even more radical than we see in 16. His mind is changing. His perspective is changing. His emotions is changing. His relationships is changing. His reputation is changing. And in verse 17, in the midst of all of this excitement and confusion, Jesus tells him why. God is changing you. God has stepped forward and revealed himself to you, not your wisdom, not your education, not your intellect, not your environment, but God is doing something in you. I read that this week and I thought to myself, do you think even Peter grasped even what that even meant? Like, Do you think Peter even heard that and said, yeah, of course, man. Now, I think Peter sat around with the other 11 at night with the campfire and just talking like, hey, man, how is this making sense? How are we seeing this? Why do we want to do this? Why are we okay with dropping the nets and following the Lord? Like, why is my mind changing? And then Jesus so nonchalantly goes, well, hey, man, God is doing some great things in you. Do you think he even grasped what that even meant to spiritually grow? Do you? I was talking to a great friend of mine, a mentor, a man that I look up. I speak to every week, countless times. He's older in life than I am. And he says to me, as I'm talking to him about spiritual growth, he said, Hunter, when I was younger, when I was 20, when I was 30, when I was 40, and God was doing things, like I saw it, but I didn't understand it. I just thought I was getting older. I just thought I was maturing and this is what comes with wisdom and experience. You learn what not to do and what to do by just living life. He said, no one ever sat me down and said, do you understand like what's going on inside of you? Do you get it? Why your mind is different and what used to not make sense makes sense now. Can you explain it to me? He goes, Hunter, I had no idea until I was older in life. Do you? Where does spiritual growth come from? As a pastor, I can't tell you how fun it is and amazing it is to witness spiritual growth. It's really our history and our origin here at this church. It's great to see. It's fun and it's exciting. It fuels a lot of the stuff that we do. 
a lot of the motivation and excitement and fellowship we have at this church is based off of that. A lot of us just come together and go, man, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working. And it's fun to see. If you're a part of this church, you see spiritual growth in every nook and cranny. If you're struggling or if you're in fire, no matter either or, you see it. I was sitting with my brother David Wilkins this week and we were just talking about the school system and Christian leadership and how we want to be leaders and how we fail, but we desire. And we just spoke about, isn't that crazy to even have that desire? To want to be that? I didn't used to want to be it. Like I didn't spend time with my friends in high school and college going, hey, listen, I want to be a Christian leader of the things that I'm a part of. I didn't speak like that. I was talking to Ellen McMacken and she came up here after Micah and it was not just Hunter, great job. It wasn't that. She stood right here, right here. She grabbed my arm and she said, man, I have loved Micah. Is it not amazing that we came into this game with half of you not even knowing that Micah was a book? And now not only do we know it's a book, but we love it. You know what she says to me? I'm praying I don't forget. Who speaks like that? Why does she speak like that? We've been fueled here by our praise team and our worship. You know how strange it is that you like to sing with a group of people? I wouldn't sing with any of you guys outside of this church. None of you. Like if I'm sitting with you guys, I'm not looking at corn going, hey brother, you know this song? Let's, let's sing it together. None of that's happening. That is weird and strange and uncomfortable. But man, I'm singing loud right here. Why is that? Why do we enjoy this? I never take for granted because I wasn't raised here in the church. Isn't it strange you even want to be here? Like it's your weekend. We can hunt and we can watch ball and we can do, isn't it strange that you actually want to be here? Now, why is it? Isn't, aren't you curious about why you want to learn? and why you want to know more, and why you want your family stronger, and why you want your kids to know the Lord more than to be financially successful when they get older. Why is that? To witness and experience spiritual growth is amazing, but it's hard to explain. And so what we do is we give credit, misplaced credit to people that don't deserve it. And go, man, just love our pastor, and I hope you do my Sunday school teacher, my, my small group, my mama who prayed with me, Caleb, that I, we misplace credit. And when you misplace credit and you misunderstand where spiritual growth comes from, it leads to destruction. But when we know where spiritual growth comes from, it leads to worship. It's important that we don't grow into our 30s and our 40s and our 60s and our 70s and our grave not knowing while we've grown closer to the Lord, what is happening to me? Please hear that. That was the statement when I first started putting this together and I was praying through my words for you. That was the statement. And remember, you can be struggling and still growing. You hear me? This isn't just a message for you guys that are crushing it right now. You can struggle and still show that Jesus is alive in your life because of the conviction that you wouldn't experience if he didn't exist. So wherever you are right now, what is happening to me?
Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Why do I feel pulled? Why do I feel pushed? Why do I feel encouraged? Why do I feel engaged? Why do I feel convicted? Why do I feel more knowledgeable? To understand spiritual growth and to put the praise on Christ, look at Acts 1. Look at Acts 1. I want you to see these verses for yourself, so turn in your Bibles. What is happening to me? Look at Acts 1, 4 through 8. <coughs> and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Highlight that. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says in a statement that just like Matthew 16, that their minds could not even grasp. He says that there will be a day when my spirit comes upon you that you will receive power. So much so that in John 16, 7, Jesus says that it's actually for your good that I go away. Like, how does that even make sense? Like, how can our minds even understand? Jesus says, hey, guess what? You see this as bad, but it's actually a positive because if I didn't, the advocate will not come. The advocate being the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that hovered above the waters in Genesis 1. That same spirit from Genesis to Matthew to Acts to Revelation, the living God is living within believers. This is best explained, I'll just hear my words, in Hebrews 1. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke time past to fathers by the prophets, has these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he has made the words, who being the brightness of his glory and express the image of his person. So what we see in scripture, what is happening to me, not flesh and bone, but God's reveal, what we see is that God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament. He spoke through his son in the four gospels. And then after Jesus, he spoke through the Holy Spirit in all ways stepping forward to the ones that he calls his, revealing himself and always growing, maturing, molding, convicting, all of these things to grow his children closer to him. I recently watched and I even showed a few of these clips to my Wednesday night crew 
of an interview with this world-renowned, non-believing, very intellectual man. This scholar, this crazy mind has a lot of initials after his name. For most of us, he's probably written more books than we've read. And he makes this statement on the idea of God and Jesus Christ, his son, and heaven and glory and the Holy Spirit and the whole thing. He says, for all that I know and all that I have seen and written, I cannot profess that God is real. But I'm also scared to death because I believe that he probably is. How is it? Hold on, hold on. How is it that Peter the fisherman, that Chad Edwards from Huntington, can fully understand and fully grasp and fully be confident and fully love and be fully ready to die for something that one of the smartest men who speaks in front of millions today cannot grasp and understand? Like, how is that? Either one or two things are happening. Either we are naive and we are gullible and we are ignorant or we are filled with the living spirit of God. And I've been foolish before and foolishness never felt like this. How is it that we enjoy this? How is it that we want this? How is it that we are thankful? How is it that we find joy in struggles? How is it that our walls fall down and we are emotional? How is it that we want to learn? How is it that we pray? How is it that we serve and give? Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. I want you to see it. Last time I have you flip, I think. I have no more blue pieces of paper, so I think this is it. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's important. What is happening to me? First Corinthians 2.9. I want you to see it. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them. Highlight that, church. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. He makes sense of what things that used to not make sense of. For the spirit searches for all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now that we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Are you following me? These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things to, to worldly, spiritual. 
But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. Hang with me, I'm going to read it again. But the natural man, the lost man, the guilted man, the lost, the searching, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him. It's a different language, church. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We receive the Spirit of God so we can know and love the things of God. The lost man, this is a different language. It says that this is foolishness to him. Foolishness. What is happening to me? God has stepped forward in your life and now his spirit is changing you from within. As I've told you, for believers, this is essential that you understand. Because where you place your credit and understanding for what you were experiencing here in at Eastview and your heart and your family and your children and your mind, where you place that credit will dictate disaster or worship. Spiritual growth is often credit to man. Man, he's just so smart. You ever heard that? He just knows so much. Or his environment. Oh, his mama and his grandfather love the Lord. Or his church is awesome. Or the people that he likes to listen to, right? His knowledge, his environment, his age. Well, you know what? As he's gotten older, he's just gotten wiser. And when we place spiritual growth connected to man, it always draws us away from God into self-righteous places. Some of the most self-righteous individuals I've met have also been some of the smartest. And that's not a knock on knowledge. That is a knock on some of the the loopholes when we fall into thinking that, man, I understand and thank the Lord for it. It says that God has revealed that God is changing, that the things that used to be foreign is now very clear. But when we understand that what flesh nor blood can accomplish, what we've experienced, worship occurs. That is when we sing. That is when we love. That is when we attend. That is when we are thankful. We are not guilted here. We are not searching here. If you are struggling or on a high, we are still thankful. Amen? That is when the Lord's Supper occurs. That is when forgiveness occurs. That is when celebration occurs. That is when worship occurs. Thank God for conviction. Thank the Lord for it. As David said, for some of you guys, you're like, I mean, I'm not spiritually growing. I'm struggling. And God's conviction is on my shoulders. That's evidence that he's real. Man, if you are sinning and enjoying it, that's where there's a problem. But man, if you are in a space of hardship and sin and you are struggling and God's conviction is on your shoulders, thank the Lord for it. Because it shows that he is real and it shows that he is living within you. Thank the Lord for new desires. Praise Jesus for newfound hope and joy and peace. You are the Christ. Peter was probably just happy he didn't get the question wrong. Right? Good job, Peter. And he looked at the other guys and he was like, right? 
And what he did not grasp in verse 17, he goes, hey, listen, Peter, something is happening within you that you can't even understand, brother. Like you're not the old, good old boy fisherman anymore, man. Your heart's changing, your mind's changing, your desires are changing, your path is changing. And thank God for it. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. For many of you, this is what you've experienced. Your taste buds have literally changed. And it is a sign that God is real and that he is honestly living within you. You don't delight Think in the last seven years. Think of the last seven months, the last seven days. Think about your life. You don't delight in the things that you that used to bring, did not bring honor to you like you used to. Like vulgarity just sounds wicked now. Like in this pastor role, I was thinking about this. People usually watch their words and their tone and their language with me because they're a, well, I'm a pastor and they don't want to be that individual. But I rolled up on somebody last week that didn't know who Hunter was and didn't know I was a pastor. And they were talking freely. And man, they were just saying whatever they wanted to. And every other word was a swear word. And in that moment, I just thought to myself, praise Jesus because I'm uncomfortable. Because I used to speak like that times two. Every word out of my mouth was nasty or wicked or backwards or vulgar. And I sat in that situation and as I heard this woman speak, my spirit did not like it and I praise Jesus for it. For you guys, some of you unhealthy relationships for the first time in your life are actually seen as unhealthy. For the first time in your life, because when you were pulled here and when you were guilted and when you were searching and lost, you didn't see unhealthy. It was just how it is. But now as God has invaded your life and your blinders are off, you see unhealthy is what it is. It's unhealthy. Idols aren't as appealing as they used to be. I have put many things in my life ahead of the Lord. And as I grow closer to him, do you know what he does? He strips them away and I can see them as what they are. I can see that they're idols. I can see that they're unworthy of my praise. I used to not be able to tell them apart. You now love what used to be foreign to you. You love Christian music. You love the church. It's not a burden. You love to learn. You want to know more. Do you think that's just because you're maturing and you like your teacher? Do you think it's just that the church is awesome and you feel pride or proud that you are knowing more and you are smarter? That is your spirit literally refreshed in your soul. As I told you, I've been foolish in many things in my life. And what I have seen in my life in seven years and since I've been a believer is not foolishness, it's evidence. Next Sunday, this church and churches all around the world are going to be filled to capacity with three different characters. You will see the guilted to come. You will see the searching and lost. And you will see the thankful to worship. Every seat will be filled with people who are dragged here because it's Easter. The people who are searching and lost because it's Easter. 
and the people who are thankful to worship because it's Easter. I have personally been all three of those people. I have been dragged here. I have been searching here and I have been thankful here. In this Lord's Supper that we partake today, in the service that's coming next Sunday in Easter, I praise Jesus. Nothing on me or glory to him that he has made me thankful. I am not guilted anymore. I am not lost anymore. I am thankful. If I am tired, weary, or struggling, or on a high, energetic, and, and strong, either way, I am thankful. I am no longer guilted, no longer searching. I am thankful to worship. As I call my praise team up here, I want you to be thinking about these things during our Lord's Supper. I want you to be thinking about the prayer of God, thank you. If right now you are in your space, and we're going to read from two different places as our praise team comes, and we're going to read, and we're going to pray, and we're going to sing, and we're going to partake. But as we sing and I read scripture, I first want you to be praying in your life right now, who are you? If you are the pulled and guilted and you said when I was preaching and you heard the verses and you go, Hunter, I am delighted in my sin. I am comfortable in my sin. I love the things that don't bring honor to the Lord. I don't feel bad at all. I am pulled here. I am lost here. I am searching here. I pray that you say, God, take my life. Reveal yourself to me. Hear me, church. I am not naive. It's silly to think that we're all believers here. You never know a man's life. You never know a woman's life. I've seen people who have gone to the church for 60 years fall at the altar with tears in their eyes going, I don't know Jesus. You don't know what's going on in somebody else's head and heart. If that is not the Jesus you know about the Jesus I'm about to read, Lord, I pray you, God, flood me. Flood me. If you are in a space where you say, hey, Hunter, I'm not guilted. I am not lost. I am saved, but I still have sin in my life. I still feel the weight of conviction. Thank Jesus for it. But Lord, hear my pleas. Hear my cries. Forgive me of my sins. Listen to Romans 8, verses 25 through 28. It says here, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit, who we've been teaching on, who fills the believers' hearts, also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray, for we ought to. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purposes. Let's bow our heads and I'm going to get Brent to pray for us. Lord, as we heard your word just read, that you work all things according uh, to, to good, all things to good. For those who love you, Father, even in this moment, that's part of that. Even in this moment, 
that we are gathered together examining and remembering our Savior. This is very good for us. That's why you've commanded it for us to not meet to get not to quit meeting together and for us to do this and remember our Savior because it's good for us. And your commands are often for our good. Father, spiritually feed us right now as we examine your mercy and your grace and your awe and your wonder and your majesty and your might and what you've done for us. This is no small thing. This is no light thing, Father. These are the moments that we look back on in 10 years and we see that you are working little by little, day by day in the mundane moments but, Father, this is, we know this is not really mundane. These are big things as we honor God and worship our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.